Recovery takes time, and that's a good thing. Welcome to episode 345 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Rocklin, Holly, Jennifer, Jean, Alba, and Dana. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Rocklin, Holly, Jennifer, Jean, Alba, and Dana, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that in this show, we represent ourselves rather than any 12-step program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer and I will be your host today. Joining me today is Esther. Actually, you're joining me from tomorrow. That is true. (laughs) Because it's Saturday night here in Michigan in the U.S. and it's Sunday morning. Is it morning still? It is afternoon. It's Sunday afternoon in, in Australia where you are. Indeed. You wanted to start with a reading from One Day at a Time in Elanon, Daily Reader. Yeah, I thought I'd go with the Today's Reminder part in October 6 from One Day at a Time. I must be completely honest with myself in uncovering the faults which hamper my spiritual growth. One by one, watchfully and painstakingly, I will replace them with constructive attitudes. I really like that because the idea is that it's slow Mm-hmm. It's not supposed to happen all at once. It's painstaking. I, I think that is definitely at least my experience of going through step four, as I have been for a full year at this point almost. It's definitely been painstaking. But I appreciate the validation. It's actually okay that it's taking me as long as it needs to take me. So I really appreciate that. You suggested this topic. We're calling it slow recovery. And I like the observation that you made here that recovery, like everything, has ebbs and flows. Looks like you wanted to dig into the word ebb a little bit, at least as a start. Sure, yeah. I looked it up, perhaps partly inspired by your lovely co-host, Eric, who likes to define words and terms and phrases. But I actually, I also do, so I resonate with that. In the Merriam-Webster Dictionary online, an ebb I didn't, yeah, I didn't think of the distinction between an ebb as a verb and an ebb as a noun, but in its noun form, it's defined as the reflux of the tide toward the sea as one definition, and then a slightly more general definition, which is a point or condition of decline, as in our spirits were at a low ebb. In its verb form to ebb, which is the one I think I'm a little bit more familiar with, is to recede from the flood, to fall from a higher to a lower level or from a better to a worse state. I find that very helpful as a metaphor when I think about the non-linearity of my Al-Anon recovery. Non-linearity, yeah. I know I have experienced that. I was going to make a general statement, but I think I'll stick with I have experienced that. I experienced that sometimes dramatically as when my loved one, after eight months of sobriety, relapsed, and I thought we were going to be fine, and I was 
work in this Al-Anon program and it was really, everything was going well. And then boom, I don't think I would call it ebb at that point. I think that was fall. I fell back into some old behavior, some controlling behavior. But, and this, you talked about ebb and flow. So this was like, if I think, when I think of the word ebb, I think of water. I think of the ocean, the tides, or the waves. So for me, this was like a wave. It was a big wave. It sucked the water way out. And then it came back in. And that was the program reworking to flow back and to get back to, you know, not where I was, the world had shifted, but to get back to having as good a program as I could have it about a year, a little less than a year in. But then there are the more subtle ones. There have been times in my life when I was just really all in. I was going to many meetings. I called Alan on friends that was working with my sponsor very actively. And then there are times in my life where the the program is to some extent it's just it's routine. It's rote, something like that sometimes. And that is that's a low point. A my spirits were at a low ebb. So yeah, how about you? Yeah, I hear what you're saying about maybe not seeing those kinds of more dramatic slips or dramatic yeah falls not so much as ebbs (laughs) because they feel not like a part of recovery they feel like stopping recovery or letting recovery go for a time there were certainly moments over the last few months where I maybe felt that I was falling rather than ebbing (laughs) but I think in hindsight and maybe this is why I felt inspired to do an episode on, on slow recovery I actually have come to realize that those were a fairly important part of my process of recovery. In many ways, they probably accelerated certain types of recovery that I otherwise wouldn't have needed them (laughs) necessarily. In the same way as the rock bottom in the aftermath of alcoholism, being exposed to alcoholism felt devastating. It also was the thing that started the process of recovery. So for me, the falls are at least, or have been part of that ebb and flow. They just certainly don't feel that way at the time. And I certainly, I understand that feeling of free falling. And I felt very fragile that I really needed the volume of meetings that I was attending and that I needed as a minimum to do my sort of weekly journaling for my step four stuff. And I needed to talk to members in between meetings more than when I wasn't stuck at home in essentially solitary confinement. So for me, I've been thinking about slow recovery as a way to help me see the the bigger arc of this year as not just quote unquote, a shit year. (laughs) if you like. At work on Friday, one of my colleagues put on our chat channel, we put up one of these little meme pictures and it says, oh, so tomorrow's Friday the 13th in 2020. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, yeah. (laughs) So yeah, that has been a challenge. I like these questions. 
what can I do when the ebb manifests, particularly when I am challenged by external circumstances to reversion of pre-programmed habits or thoughts? The first circumstance that I spoke of, I did dive in when I was challenged by relapse. Yes, I reverted, but I knew that what I had to do at that point was to practice more program. In the, I don't know, sort of the apathetic ebb, maybe is a way to label the just falling away from program. That one is harder for me to deal with because it's not so obvious. Have you experienced that? I haven't been in the program for a, a, a super long time, but I've had moments where I've recognized that I'm coasting and things are distracting in my everyday life and I find reasons to not show up to my meetings or I don't really feel like I need that one today. I'll just pop in to the next one I have scheduled. I think I might cancel that chat that I have scheduled with my sponsor because I've put in something that I feel is more important. I'm not necessarily doing all of that in one go, but it can be more a general pattern. And I think that usually happens when things are going what I consider to be well, when I'm busy and when I'm generally content. As soon as I face some kind of struggle or rupture to that business as usual mindset, I find myself running back pretty quickly. at the moment at least. I haven't had a chance to have long periods of apathy or letting things go just because I haven't been around for so long, but I've certainly heard people sharing about that phenomenon and I can definitely imagine that if I was in the program for a decade that there would be periods where that could happen to me. Yeah. I was thinking, like, what does pull me back? And one of the things, I think a very important thing that pulls me back is the connections that I have created in program. I have a lot of connections because of the podcast and some of them are, most of them are, are like weak connections. They're they're people I have maybe exchanged an email with or something, but still when I get an email and particularly when I get an email from somebody like you that says, Hey, I want to talk about this topic that helps to pull me in. When I get a communication from, a friend in a meeting. Are you going to be at the meeting tomorrow? That pulls me in. I have a step study group. We've been meeting for three years, believe it or not. I'm like, wow, <laughs> we're almost through step 12. We meet every other week and then people have schedules. And so then we skip a, an every other week. And then actually with Zoom, we've been trying to meet every week. And that means we meet every two or three weeks, actually given people's crazy schedules, which is amazing. But Again, that pulls me back in, and I think that's been really important is to have those connections that when I start to coast, as you say, I like that word, there are people who can spark, re-spark, engagement. Working the steps with a group of people who, except for me, have not worked the steps before has brought them back alive for me. So there's some things that that I do. Yeah, that's great. I I definitely feel that the fellowship, the connections that I've forged with other members has really strengthened 
the times of the day where we would otherwise be running around <laughs> doing stuff or even going from a place to a place, which in Melbourne can take quite a long time because it's a fairly sprawling city if you have to get from one side of it to another. Where we have been up until recently, we're not really anymore, but we have been at home. So we were doing a lot of phone calls and that would just not happen as frequently when everyday life was more full of other stuff. I really appreciate that. And I really hope that now that we are back into some kind of relative normality here, it's all relative, that we don't lose those. And I'm noticing that we are in touch less frequently and that is natural and that is okay. But I think I'm going to need to actively or proactively ensure that those connections are maintained and that I don't get slack because I'm able to go out and about and do my own thing again. Yeah. You also picked a part of another reading that talks about sort of the opposite of slow recovery. This is May 21st from One Day at a Time in Al-Anon also. And it starts, sometimes an over-eager newcomer asks a number of people for advice about a problem or is forever calling up various members to get their views on her troubles. She is trying to get all the answers at once because she's in a hurry to put Al-Anon's magic to work. Yeah. And then it concludes, she needs to go slow. Let go. Keep it simple. I remember when I was early here and I wanted to fix it right away. I didn't want to have it be slow. Uh, but I also, I dove in. I really did. But I had the good fortune to fall into, if you will, uh, a group that had really strong recovery in the meeting, in the group, encouraged sponsorship, encouraged focusing on the solution rather than on the problem. And so when I dove in, what I dove into was step study. I dove into working the steps because that's what I heard was the solution. And yeah, I wanted it to work as quick as it could. Do you have thoughts from that reading? I liked the honesty of it in a sense. We don't all come in and then all suddenly get it. <laughs> and I certainly was very reluctant to listen to the members who said things like, I wish you a slow recovery as a positive kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I love that saying now because the idea that this is a lifetime thing for me, now that's true for me. It just is. Whereas at the beginning, the idea that there have been people around for 30 years who are still coming was horrifying. <laughs> I remember the first person who let me into a space that Al-Anon was taking place in my first ever meeting in Oslo. This elderly woman, her husband had passed away several years ago and she was still coming. And I was completely bewildered by that. I thought, but the person who was alcoholic in your life is no longer alive. Like, why are you still here? Mm. And that kind of made me feel like, oh, she must be really unwell. She's an unwell person, which is amazing because really the fact that she still goes now, I understand that probably means that she's really well <laughs> and that she's looking after herself yeah. and that she recognises that it's about her and not about her late husband. But at the time, it just seemed so strange to be confronted with a person who 
came to seek help because of an alcoholic partner like me, and yet 30 years later, and in the absence of her partner, was still not only coming to this program, but taking the lead and being a group leader and all of those sorts of things, it felt very strange. It looked very strange to to the likes of me at the time. Yeah, that's what I would say about how that reading resonates with me. Sometimes when I'm talking in a meeting about why I keep coming, I compare it to going to the gym and that I don't go to the gym once or for a while and say, okay, I got this gym thing. I don't need this anymore. And maybe it's more obvious that my physical wellness, my physical strength, whatever word we want to use, needs constant maintenance. What I came to understand is that my spiritual health, my spiritual well-being also needs continual maintenance. One of the ways that I do that, just as I do different physical activities, one of the ways that I keep my spiritual health is through practicing this program. Because this is the thing that brought me to the understanding that I needed to do that. And it's something that continues to work for that purpose. There's so much wisdom that has been written down or spread by word of mouth. But it's also realization that I'm not alone. That understanding that I was not alone was sudden for me. It happened in my first meeting, but it also continues to happen. Speaking a little bit more about the thing that got me to the space of thinking about slow recovery, I've had some really intense work pressures over these last few months. It was quite similar in terms of work pressures this time last year, but last year there was no global pandemic. But thinking back, I was dealing with the aftermath of my partner's alcoholic rock bottom, and I was unable to share any aspect of why I was extra overwhelmed by things with my colleagues because this was not something I could share with colleagues. So in a way I had that isolation, it just manifested very differently. And then it came out sideways in meetings and with people I had to work for and with because I had no outlet for my rage and for my grief and for my resentments. That being said, I was going into work. I was seeing people. I was interacting. I was having face-to-face meetings. I was going for a glass of something or other after work with a friend. I was sitting at coffee shops to do my work sometimes for a change of environment because that's really important for me which is one reason I actually figured out I was having so much trouble getting any work done while I was stuck at home is that I couldn't change my physical environment. And I was exploring different parts of the city and the nature around it. I only moved here for this job in 2019. So the city is still a place of constant discovery for me. So this year I had these exact same work pressures, plus unfortunately also the threat of job insecurity, which increased those pressures massively. And many people in my line of work and in my organization were losing their jobs. And then there was the small detail that for several months I'd been stuck in my house by myself doing the same walking routes, getting really sick of my own cooking, which is functional at best. And the stress of a global pandemic for a person like me who suffers at the best of times from germophobia and some version of hypochondria, 
So yeah, the option to click the refresh button on my headspace was just not there in the same way. And I was really overwhelmed with the workload. I had this inner monologue going while this struggle was happening to, to get through my workload. It was get your shit together. There's no excuse for not getting this done. You're at home doing nothing else. What is wrong with you? Everybody else is managing. Why can't you? Uh, and then no one can know that you're having so much trouble with this. Just get it done. Start tomorrow. Get up early and start tomorrow. And it came in the form of these very punishing emotions where I hated the struggle, but I was also very angry at myself for having the struggle. I was dealing with the, those three Ps, but it was not the type of procrastination that I'd previously become expert at, which I think we discussed in our last episode together, where I would work through the B through to the Z list and leave out the A list because that's the dreaded thing I'm avoiding. It, it wasn't quite like that. This was a kind of paralysis where I would sit down and start the thing I had to do because I knew that if I didn't, I would find it harder and harder to finish because of the deadline coming closer. But the problem was I was literally incapable of doing the task. I would start it and I would have everything ready and I would sit there and begin. But if I was lucky, I might get through a very small amount of it on a good day. And the, just the size and impossibility of finishing the task in time completely overwhelmed me. I would stare at the screen after a few minutes of trying and just lose my mind. And then I'd be a big bag of misery for the next, whatever, few minutes, hour, sometimes for the rest of the day. And naturally, the last thing in the world I was ever going to think to do would be to tell my manager in an upfront way that I was struggling or to ask for help. But if we use the sort of framework of Al-Anon wisdom, it's possible to view, I think, what happened next as my higher power, putting me in a situation where I had no choice but to ask for help. In one online video meeting with one colleague and my manager, one morning during which I was feeling particularly rough, <laughs> my colleague asked me how I was. It, interesting reflecting on this. Before program, that conversation would have gone something like this. Oh, yeah, I'm good. And then I would just rattle on about all the stuff that I was intending to do but not really doing and talking about it as if I was already doing it and basically creating a diversion through talking about something at length that is not really the thing that I was asked, <laughs> which is, how are you? But in this situation, because of the effects of Al-Anon, I must say, I was actually physically incapable of lying, even though I wanted more than anything else to save face. So instead, what came out was, I'm overwhelmed <laughs> and I'm not managing my workload and I'm just feeling like everything's really difficult. And I thought that I said it in a tone that was casual. So I maybe figured I'd gotten away with having said it and then having it be forgotten because this is my unhelpful way of thinking. Because the way that I prefer for people to hear me when I'm saying I'm struggling with something is really that they don't hear me. I don't want people to know I'm having a hard time because I'm proud and I don't want to make a fuss and I hate a fuss. <laughs> I hate people having to show me compassion makes me feel vulnerable. And what if, God forbid, I end up showing them vulnerability or emotion? But it did not come across as casual. The next day I woke up feeling quite unwell physically. And so I texted my manager saying I was going to skip a couple of things just to let her know. And she called me straight away based on that message and how she saw me respond to my colleagues, how are you doing question the previous day. And she said, are you okay? And what can we do about this? And do you need to take leave or do we need to do something bigger than that? So faced with this person asking me in earnest, 
she was handing me an opportunity to ask for help, (laughs) this option that I quite literally had not considered. Not asking because she was worried I would mess up things at work, but because she cared about me as a human being. I actually started crying on the phone to her, which is a big event for me. I'm not a person who does that. I, I don't think I've cried in front of my family even since I was a very small child. But the point was I couldn't hide it anymore. All bets were off. (laughs) The show was over. Here was something being thrust in my face to say, hey, you think you can manage this alone? Think again. (laughs) And it was just this amazing opportunity to be like, okay, someone is asking me to ask for help and now I have to do that. (laughs) So for me, that is an example of a struggle and a falling back into old pre-programmed thinking, but not being allowed to get away with it. Do you think that your recognition, what was happening there, that your manager was holding out a hand in effect, is that at least in part because of having done some of the recovery work? Do you think that maybe you wouldn't have recognized it? I think I would have read it differently. Uh Yeah, I, I would have found a way to make it, to continue to justify me not asking for help. I would have insisted that I was fine in some way. I would have underplayed how I was feeling. I would have I would have felt a lot of shame for having that that outburst and so I would have found a way to dampen it or sweep it under the rug or say put it down to extreme tiredness. I would have done something to dismiss it. I know myself. <laughs> but in this situation the thing was she said you don't have to tell me an answer right away, but go away and think about it and let me know what you need. So she gave me an opportunity to do the Al-Anon pause. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. And I took it and I said, yeah, I'll let you know. Because I remember, of course, Al-Anon's taught me that if I'm a state of heightened anything, I shouldn't be making any decisions. So I did give it a week and I told her the following week that I had figured out what I needed, which it turned out was some hired help with a particular task that once that was dealt with would actually ease up the pressure considerably. Now, she couldn't guarantee that she could give me that help, but Mm. the point was that I did my part on my end in saying what I needed. So that opened up a kind of line of communication between us where she could check in regularly because she no longer would assume based on my everything's fine face that everything is in fact fine. (laughs) I think that's really important now for our working relationship going forward. I would have recognized it pre-programmed, but I would have deflected it, I think was the word I was looking for. Yeah. We, we're talking slow recovery. This morning I uh, was in a meeting. We were talking about step six. Step six for me is an opportunity to pause and take a look. Step six says we were entirely ready to have God remove all our defects of character. There's no wiggle room words in that step. Entirely ready. All our defects of character. So there's an opportunity when we come around to step six for me to say, how am I doing on that? How am I doing on these defects of character? to take a little bit of time to just look and say, oh, this thing has been popping up. I think, as I said in my brief reflection on anxiety last week, the form of procrastination 
that involves reading or watching a show or playing a game on my phone because I maybe don't have the energy to focus on developing a topic for a podcast episode. I'm just keeping it real here. It's a shortcoming. It's a character defect. It's a something that is coming up. It's not a new one, but it's one that the situation is, let's say, encouraging, triggering. I don't know exactly. Making more, making stronger. And so this morning I had an opportunity to say, yeah, maybe I could ask for some help on this. And this afternoon I spent a couple hours playing a stupid game on my phone before I sat down and finished filling in the, what we're talking about right now. <laughs> I've been in the program for a while. All of my defects of character are not gone. It's not an instantaneous quick fix kind of a program. But what I do know is that I have made changes or changes have been made with the help of my higher power, with the help of friends in the program, with the help of the literature, with the help of all of the tools that I've gotten here. I react and act differently than I did 20 years ago, than I did five years ago in some cases. Than probably I did a year ago. Actually, like the, I'm in one of those ebb periods right now. And as, as I was sharing this morning, I was trying to remember because I was sitting out in the park. I did not have my books with me. And I was trying to remember this reading in the book Paths to Recovery for step six, where the person talks about six words beginning with P that help him or her to work step six. And one of them is pain. Okay, what is the pain that this thing is causing me? The pain that this thing is causing me is that I feel guilty for not getting done the things that I feel like I should get done. And there's a whole bunch of shoulding and stuff in there, too. And I'm so grateful to the people who've written in and said, I, I, I love it when a new episode comes out, but there's so many I can go back to them, don't feel bad because you're having trouble producing on a schedule or something. But I do. And so there's pain. Another P is payoff. Okay, what is the payoff of this behavior? Why do I like this behavior? It distracts me. It keeps my mind off of the things that I don't want to be thinking about. And there's some fun, or if I'm reading a mystery story or something like that. I can escape my problems into somebody else's problems that are so much worse. And I thought of a couple more P's and I think one of them is practice. I can practice different behavior with the help of my higher power. I can practice different behavior. And then I thought of that slogan about practice, not the one that is practice makes perfect because that is not this program. Practice makes progress. And sometimes it's slow, but there's something in the AA literature about sometimes slowly, but they will materialize if we work for them or look for something. I don't remember the exact wording. And I want it to be 
I want it to be done now. And you're smiling and nodding. <laughs> yes, I, I know that feeling. The practice makes progress is really important for me. I never labeled myself as a perfectionist. Hilariously, probably because I'm really nitpicky about the fact that perfectionism isn't possible. And I knew that what I was aiming for was never perfectionism because I knew that perfectionism was not a real thing. <laughs> so it's this kind of nitpicking over the semantics. But, but I appreciate practice makes progress because reflecting on the experiences that I had that I described to you, I was seeing myself as a failure at recovery. The fact that I was regressing and reverting to old behaviours and relapsing made me feel like I was, yeah, I was failing at Al-Anon, basically. But of course, what I realised was that, like I said before, I was going through the non-linear part of, of recovery and there were some really important changes that were happening. I may have only started to notice them at certain moments, but they were not coming out of nowhere and they weren't immediate, like you were saying, and they weren't sudden. They were a really cumulative result of working the steps, of reading literature, of doing my program of recovery, of accepting my shortcomings <laughs> and understanding that if I keep doing the program and really importantly doing what I'm told, even if it feels like it's not the right thing for me sometimes, those things, those transformations will keep happening. But I have to remember that they are going to be slow and often I will not see them until I see them. And sometimes I will take two steps forward and three steps back and that's okay too. Recovery is not a straight line. I have to remember that because my default is to be punishing myself if I'm not acing it, so to speak, whatever that means. I have been there and there are some ebbs that I have experienced that I would not have had the insight, the motivation, the kick in the butt to make some transformation some next step in recovery if I had not fallen back. I think not so much in Al-Anon, but definitely I've heard in AA the expression, the pink cloud of early recovery. I definitely experienced the pink cloud of early recovery. And then when all of a sudden everything was not all right, it pushed me into deepening my recovery, working it more strongly because I had to. And I think you spoke of some ways in which this recent ebb of yours has helped you in your recovery. Can talk a little bit about that? Definitely. Yeah. The first thing is that I've learned how to ask for help or more accurately, I've, I was compelled to ask for help, but I can see now how freeing that is. I've accepted now that Sometimes people will see me emotionally struggle, <laughs> even in contexts where I don't want people to see me emotionally struggle. It might happen anyway. And that is not the end of the world. I am a human being <laughs> and people are aware of that. Sometimes I like to, for whatever reason, prefer that people might think I'm some kind of well-oiled machine that talks. That is not what I am and people know that. So why am I pretending? So there's an acknowledgement in that. Interestingly enough, I've learned how to pray every day, sometimes several times a day. That's pretty new for me. And not just to go through the motions, but to really mean it. 
the gift of desperation led me down that road. I think that initially I had to get over this, even in my own headspace, this kind of idea of pride. Oh, I'm not going to ask some kind of higher power for help. I'm fine. I've got this. But when I'm not fine and I don't got this, prayer is very, it's the only thing I have left. So it's the thing I do. Also, my sponsor tells me to do it and I listen to what my sponsor tells me to do. And that's really important. I've also really learned to stop chastising myself for things that I'm having trouble with. I'm not saying I'll never do it again, but I've realised how futile it is. I've realised that if something isn't working, the answer is not to keep pushing and trying in the same way over and over again and hope for different results (laughs) each time I do that. I can try something else or I can take a break and I can come back when I'm not halt, hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Or I can accept that this is where I'm at and that even if I can't achieve the thing that I'm trying to achieve, that actually doesn't have to be a catastrophe. And in all likelihood, it isn't a catastrophe anywhere other than in my head. And a couple of more things I learned to think of things that I'm grateful for in the moments where I needed to be reminded of them most. I live in the same time zone as my family now. And I can talk to them at times of day that it's easier now for me to talk to them than when I lived on the other side of the world. Just those little things that I really don't take for granted anymore. They actually help me to take my mind off the other stuff, like off myself in a way. (laughs) Take my mind off myself in the destructive sense of how I'm in myself, in my head. Take my mind off obsession. So I call it a bite-sized gratitude list. I use it like another route to the Al-Anon pause. And the last thing is that I learned to write down my resentments live. So as they are cooking, (laughs) as it were, instead of saving them up for later, like coins in a piggy bank, because in my old pre-Alanon mentality, and if I'm honest, this is still what I would do if I'm not keeping myself in check. My default is to hold on to resentments, save them up, (laughs) think about, a moment where I could use them as a weapon against the people or the institutions that I'm pissed off with. <laughs> and of course, Alanon has reminded me that, yeah, it's that metaphor of drinking the poison and hoping that the other person will die. That's what holding on to resentments is. It harms me. So why do that? You know, if it harms me. And I knew a lot of these little bits and pieces of things in theory before these last few months, I knew about them and I'd read about them and I'd heard sharing about them, but I think I learned about them in a very embodied way these last few months, which is a different kind of learning. In my head, I'm going back to the the physical body metaphor for spiritual change. I'll pick something that I have been, quote, working on for not quite a decade, which is to get my weight back down into a place that I'm comfortable with it and to where it is not pushing my health in bad directions. And I'm not heavily overweight, never was heavily overweight. Although when I look at pictures of myself from two or three years ago, my face definitely is fatter from the peak. I've lost something like 35 pounds. Okay. 
You don't lose 35 pounds overnight. I don't lose 35 pounds in a year. I kept setting myself these ambitious goals of losing a pound a week or something crazy like that. Okay, that just, it doesn't work. And and then I think about, there have been some times when I have suddenly lost a bunch of weight. And why was that? Because I was sick and I wasn't eating. I get a cold and, hey, I, I lose weight because I, I, I'm not eating and I don't feel like it. That is not a healthy way, okay? If I take that metaphor and I turn it to my spiritual growth, it says to me two things. One is, why do I think I can change the way I act, the way I think, the way I feel any more quickly than I can change how much I weigh? Or any more quickly than I can be able to run a mile. That took me probably a year to get from being able to walk a mile to being able to run a mile. Maybe more than a year. Why do I think I could fix my mind, fix my thoughts any more quickly than that? And (laughs) again, something that I will say sometimes in meetings or Probably, I'm sure I've said it on this podcast. My wife and I have been together, this year we've been together for 40 years. And 25 of that involved alcoholic drinking. Why do I think I should be fully recovered from that? It took 25 years to get to the point where I hit my bottom. Why do I think I should be able to come back up in a year or two? Or, And if I think about me, because as a friend of mine likes to say, and, and I say too, the person that qualifies me to be an Al-Anon is actually me. Throughout my life, I have picked people that I can fix. There's air quotes happening here, okay? You can't see them on the podcast. So if it took me something years, almost 50 years to get to Al-Anon, why do I think I can fix my broken thinking in a year or two? I can't change a habit of 50 years in, in overnight. It just, and if I think I can, it actually makes it harder for me to do anything about it, right? Oh, it's not happening. I'm not changing. I'm still doing the same old things. This gets back to your chastising yourself that you were talking about. If I know, if I recognize and accept that it is going to take a while, sometimes it's like there's a big step. Sometimes, as you say, there's three steps backwards. And now I have to go in a different direction because that direction just didn't work. If I know that's what's going to happen, then I don't feel like I'm failing at recovery when I don't get to where I think I ought to be by now. Yeah, I love that. And that's such a really important thing to think about, isn't it? It's like, yeah, how long did it take me to establish these habits? How long did it take me to, because habits are a thing, they're a thing that come from doing something a lot <laughs> and for a long time often. So I think that's so great that thinking about it in, in the context of your whole life, not just from the second you stepped in the rooms of Al-Anon and not even from the moment you started the relationship with the person that 
ended up being the reason or the ostensible reason that you came into the rooms of Alanon. That's a great reminder. Yeah. And it's funny to think about the kind of idea of that, that it can feel like a race for me sometimes. It, I am honestly able to say that I'm getting over that and that maybe Alanon is the only space in my life where I don't feel like I'm racing against time. Mm-hmm. I've had these little niggly moments where if I hear that a newer member has quote unquote overtaken me in the steps, <laughs> that I might have this moment where it's almost an emotional force of habit where I, I feel competitive and I'm like, oh my gosh, they've overtaken me. I'm going too slowly. Gosh, that's absurd on so many levels. And I recognize that. And I, number one, Al-Anon is not a race <laughs> or a competition. Yeah, I was thinking like if there's such a thing as the opposite of a competition, surely it's Al-Anon. <laughs> but also the pace of recovery that is right is the pace that I'm doing for me. And if that is slow sometimes, and even if it's really slow sometimes, then that's how it's meant to be for me. And I'm good with that. And I am at peace with the fact that step four is taking me as long as it's taking me. The method of step four that I'm doing is one where I do it concurrently with step five, where I do a weekly reading of my step four stuff to my sponsor. So I'm doing steps four and five together. I find that helpful because it keeps me doing it. (laughs) It also means that once I'm at least done with step four in this round, I'm sure I'll get there again, I will actually be on to step six because I've been doing step five the whole time. It'll be interesting to see what that looks like. And maybe the pace will change from that point onward. Maybe I need this to take as long as it's taking. But there is no good in comparing my recovery to the other people around me who are in recovery. Absolutely no good can come from that. The nice thing about it is that I can admit that to myself and I can admit that sometimes happens to my sponsor. I can admit it to other members to those members, in fact, who I sometimes feel are overtaking me. (laughs) And we can laugh about it because we're all in that same space. We're all dealing with these things in our own ways. And we get to practice this with each other, in a sense. That's the beauty of this program. We can consciously reflect together on the moments where we resort to old ways of thinking and we can make light of it and we can move on. And that's one of the things I really love about having members to talk to in between meetings. I think I've said everything that I want to say about slow recovery. Is there anything else that you wanted to add? I just want to add, so we we read a little bit from May 21st in one day at a time in Al-Anon, but my eyes drifted over to the next page, May 22nd. And at the bottom, the quote from Hoagie Carmichael says, slow motion gets you there faster. I think that's it. I love that. You picked some music, I picked some music, and our first selection here, and you can listen to them all on the website at therecovery.show slash 345, is by Simon and Garfunkel. The title of the song is the 59th Street Bridge Song, which tells you absolutely nothing about the song. The lyrics just jumped out at me. It's got a catchy tune that was earworming me all morning. It starts out, slow down, you move too fast. You got to make the morning last. Just kicking down the cobblestones, looking for fun and feeling groovy. And if I could sing, I would sing it, but (laughs) I only sing in large groups. 
where you can't hear whether I'm in tune or out of tune. I'm still a perfectionist in that aspect. But it's just slow down. You move too fast. You got to make the morning last. Just that's what we're talking about. That is what we're talking about here. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery. How have we experienced recovery this week? And I was just thinking about a couple of things. As soon as I posted the the episode last week about uh, calming the anxiety, I remembered, oh, there was a couple things I was going to talk about that I didn't talk about, which made me anxious. And the first thing that I didn't talk about there is the power of that gratitude has improve my serenity, decrease my anxiety. Uh, last week when it felt like the whole world was crazy around me and I was crazy in it, we also had some really beautiful weather here. In November in Michigan is not supposed to be sunny and warm, but that's what we had. And I'm fine with that. And I wish we had more of it. But And I remembered I was able to pull enough of my program out to recognize that I should enjoy what I could of those beautiful days, which might be taking my brief lunch break and sitting outside and eating outside. I do have this four-footed furry fellow who reminds me that I have to get outside at least a couple times a day. And and so I can get out there and I can enjoy the weather when it's enjoyable. I can feel that gratitude for the beautiful fall colors, for the sun, for the blue sky. Yeah. And to be grateful that I have that opportunity and that I remembered to grasp that opportunity that was offered to me. That's a recovery tool. The second thing that was really important for me last week was connecting. I talked about connecting with people. And in this case, my step study group has been having scheduling issues. One of the members of the group is now working. I think she said three jobs. Yeah, her her regular job and then a couple of side jobs, all from the comfort and confinement of her house. And so we we did get together on Thursday, and one person said, "Can we just do the check in?" Normally, we would check in for ten or fifteen minutes at the beginning, and then we'd do our step work. And this time, we just did check in because that was what we needed. And we, as I said, we've been meeting regularly for three and a half years. And we're at this point of really deep trust. So when we did the check-in, I was fairly early in the rotation. And I did the, here's what's happening stuff. I talked about stuff. I talked about the things that were happening. And then I was like, yeah, okay, I'm fine. (laughs) It's okay. and. Other people checked in and, and then we were talking afterwards and I was like, you know, I'm feeling really out of sorts and went into 
more detail about not the stuff, but the feelings and realized that I needed to do that. I needed to dig down and really let that stuff out. And this was a place where I could do that and how important that was for me. And again, that is a gift of recovery because I didn't have people in my life that I could do that with. So there was recovery working in my life last week. How about you, Esther? I guess I just want to say how amazing it is that a man your age is able to talk about feelings. That's just not the cultural norm. Yeah. And so I love the the effects of recovery that, you know, and I do, I get this in my meetings. There are older men who you'd never know by looking at them that they're the types of people who can talk about their feelings, but they sure as heck can. Yeah, it's really inspiring. I think that's one of the one of the magic aspects of the program is that it defies these cultural norms that we've internalized. So about me, I stayed up. I've had the kind of culmination of this last few weeks of work ended up with me staying up until four or five in the morning every day for about seven days, trying to finish a bunch of work. Mm. And I did. And I was very tired afterward, (laughs) but it felt good to finish. And I did use prayer a lot to get through some of those nights. And as a result of doing all that work, I haven't made it to as many meetings, but I've actually been calling my sponsor a bit more, which is something that I wasn't really doing that much of before. I was doing our regular reading of resentments (laughs) out loud thing, but I was not calling her with things that were coming up for me day to day. And I was doing that more this week. And that was really, initially I had to get over the idea that I was wasting her time because I still have that feeling sometimes. She was so happy that I was doing it. I think like she's been waiting for a moment where I feel comfortable enough to do that and said, I'm so glad that you're calling me for things like this. This is what I'm here for. (laughs) So that was lovely. One meeting that I did go to last week had the topic of uh, principles, not personalities, which is one of my favorite bits of Tradition 12. I like principles, not personalities, because of how it has immediately manifested in healthy recovery in the rooms, where I think about the fact that it doesn't matter who's sharing, it's what they're sharing. But I also like it because I use it at work a lot and mm. it helps me get over. It actually, in, in a sense, it's what's the word, mitigates particular types of resentments, I think. So I like principles, mm. not personalities. And that's been useful and it will be useful for me this coming week because I'm going to be attending a whole bunch of meetings where I know <laughs> that if I don't have that at the forefront of my mind, I will exit those meetings with a whole lot of resentments. My sponsor said to me sometime recently when I was stressing about a meeting, I love this line and I'm trying to remember it every time. She said, take your higher power with you into the meeting. (laughs) I was like, that's great. I need to remember that. Imagining that I'm having this higher power with me that gives me honestly, a sense of perspective, like even the stuff that's annoying me about the meeting feels less important when I have a higher power with me in that meeting, when I have a sense of a higher power with me in that meeting. One one other thing I wanted to mention is that a few of the fun meetings I have been doing online have included 
a meeting that is in its pilot phase, not officially registered yet, that's devoted to the 12 traditions, but also sometimes gets into the the concepts, which is a sort of level of nerding out on Al-Anon that is quite new to me, but seems to be quite fun if you do it with the right people. And last week, the chair of the meeting experimented with, I guess, what could be called a game show format, (laughs) which was really rather hilarious. It was an experiment and it was a sense of every group is autonomous, so why can't we try something like this and see where it takes us? And I just had this, it occurred to me, the feeling of laughing in that space for me, it felt like a physical version of letting go and letting God in the face of whatever's going on, laughter has that effect for me. Joyous laughter. Yeah. And I've been doing some meetings in North America that I've really enjoyed. I like the ways that different groups use different formats. I love the variety that I couldn't get in physical environments. I was able to get through like online meeting environments, which was a nice little substitute. And I've been going to another online meeting in regularly in my second country of citizenship that I can't visit at the moment and where all of my extended family live. So that's been a nice way of feeling at home, a home away from home. And that family knows nothing of me being in Al-Anon, but it nevertheless feels <laughs> nice to be in a space with people somewhere where I can't actually be physically at the moment. And it's extremely different demographically from the groups that I attend here. So that's actually another principles, not personalities application for me and it has really forced me to keep an open mind and this is a really genuinely positive thing for me and also the slogan listen and learn so I really I've gotten a lot out of that and I guess the last thing I'll finish on is that in terms of my recovery the last few weeks my relationship with my alcoholic partner my partner in recovery my long distance partner we have been getting better at separating our journeys of recovery. And I think that's a a sign that at least for my part, I'm doing recovery right, you know, or starting to do that aspect of recovery. It's an interesting equilibrium that I'm sure you have some experience with in your own context to be navigating two journeys of recovery that are in different but very related programs. (laughs) I want to be mutually supportive and I want to have a good, healthy dialogue and open communication, but also I don't want us to be hampering each other's recovery and I don't want us to be suffocating each other, metaphorically speaking. And that's an interesting line to be practicing. At the moment, we're navigating that by trying to be in touch a little less in our long distance relationship. And that for me, again, is a good sign. I think some people might see that as quite counterintuitive. Oh, you're not in touch that much. Is that a sign things are a bit iffy in your relationship. And actually for me, it's quite the opposite because we were so enmeshed. That was part of both of our diseases in a sense. So making it a less intense thing for the time being, at least while we're finding our feet is actually really good for me. I can't speak for him. That's another thing I'm learning. (laughs) So that's been great. And at a time when we really don't know the next time we're going to be able to see each other in real life in 3D, those sorts of things are very important. So, yeah, I'll I'll leave it there. Thanks very much. So much. We have a couple of shares from Alina, one on isolation and one about gratitude. Hi, my name is Alina. I just wanted to share on episode 96, which was on isolation. 
This topic for me really made me think about a lot of things because it's one of my character defects for sure. Before coming into Al-Anon, I would get severely depressed about my qualifiers and one in particular that just would get me so sad and upset that I would just sit in bed and not necessarily cry the whole time, but I would be just super sad and I would find myself not socializing with anyone, not eating, not taking care of myself. I would get up and shower and think that I was making an attempt to do something, but then not eating, not working out, not really cleaning the house, unless I had to go to work. If I was going to work, I was on autopilot and that seemed to help me forget about things. And I would just continue to work and knew that I had a purpose and that was it. But if I was off or once I got off of work, I would literally shut down and I would just be so consumed and not really having anyone to share things with. And it seemed like the one or two people that I would share with just beat me up about things. And so it made me feel even worse. So a lot of times I didn't really share how I was feeling and I felt not validated at all. After Al-Anon and knowing what I need to do and remembering self-care and first things first and to turn things over to my higher power and just having a sponsor and my mindset just I had tools. I had things to help me cope with things. And I had Al-Anon friends too that just listened and I didn't feel judged or beat down or bad for feeling the way I was feeling. Like they were like, these are your feelings and you're allowed to have them. Nobody, you're not wrong. And it just makes things for me easier when I can share with someone and just let it go. After that, I can let it go. And I don't know why for me that works it does. Going to meetings also helped. And whether I shared or listened, I just got something out of it. And it was just like a miracle going to those meetings and everything. Now, I guess if I had to compare like how I deal with things now, it's a little better. I'm not going to say it's perfect. I still tend to get quiet or feel a certain way and isolate a little bit, but it's not to the extreme before I can realize it and say, you know what? I got to work out. I got to get up. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to take care of myself because worrying and having those feelings for me, it's not getting me anywhere and it just prolongs things. And I can still be hurt and upset, but I can handle a lot differently. I can pick up my phone and call someone. I can write in my journal. I can read, I can listen to a podcast and I can share all these things are just a blessing. I appreciate you guys being there and thank you for the topic. I wanted to share on episode 97, which was on gratitude. I really like this topic. For me, I guess before Alan on, I was always, whenever I was happy or felt some sort of contentment or like happiness, I would always think about my blessings and were blessed for this and that. And I guess that kind of reminds me of gratitude at that time. I always felt fortunate and just blessed to have a nice house and healthy pets and healthy parents and a good marriage and a good job. We both loved what we did. 
as far as our careers go. So that to me was what I felt gratitude meant at the time. One of the things that me and my qualifier at the time, he was in a program, we would occasionally list three things we were grateful for. That was like our thing. He'd have his and I have mine. It was just a nice little thing to do. Then there was times where he would ask me when I'm having a hard time at work or something bad has happened, what are you grateful for? And that always struck me. So I would realize I can be grateful for something, even in the darkest of times, even if I'm upset, angry, mad, hurt, no matter what's happened. I realize that now he's not in a program anymore. And I find that we do it a lot less, but I know that with my Al-Anon friends, we tend to do it a little bit more and just look randomly, whether I'm feeling good or bad, whether it's the beginning of the morning or the end of the night or the middle of the day, I can always find something. There's always going to be something that I'm grateful for. And so that to me is like a blessing and something that does help put me in a good mood or it'll adjust my attitude for sure. And I think that if I'm feeling a certain way and I can try and adjust my attitude, I think that I feel a lot better and I know that things will be okay. Even if I'm struggling. I know things will be okay. And sometimes that's hard to accept, but I know that if I do a gratitudes list, it does help. I really appreciate the topic. I know that sometimes gratitude and being thankful comes a lot during the end of the year holidays, like Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, but it's a good reminder all year round, really. I'm really grateful for that too. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Alina, for continuing to contribute to the show. I'll be recording an episode with Eric, possibly before this episode is published. We're talking about this sort of saying that, that I don't know where he happened on it, that if I'm not the problem, there is no solution. I'm curious to see where we go with that. Some people have sent in contributions because I sent out an email to the email list saying, hey, we're going to be doing this topic and we welcome your shares. And so we will have some listener voices in there as well. And obviously, if something strikes you about that topic, uh, feel free to send us something and, and we'll stick it in a later episode as part of our feedback segment. So how can people send us feedback, Esther? You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now to 734-707-8795. You can use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. You can also send a voice memo or email to feedback at the recovery.show. We'd love to hear from you. Check strength and hope or your questions about today's topic of slow recovery. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. As I've said a couple times already, our website is therecovery.show, uh, where you can find all the information about the show, including notes for each episode, which will include uh, a link to the book that we read from. I think we only read from one book today, videos for the music that we chose, and so on. Our second song is by Casey Musgraves, titled Slow Burn. Again, this is talking about being okay with slow, being okay with taking time. Lyrics here, I'm all right with a slow burn, taking my time, let the world turn. I'm going to do it my way. It'll be all right if we burn it down and it takes all night. And I think she's not singing about recovery, but we can read it as a recovery song. 
Now I have some feedback from you, or if not specifically you, maybe someone that you connect with. Got several letters about episode 344, that short one that I titled Calming the Anxiety. Carol said, Spencer, thank you for your episode 344, Calming the Anxiety. And the reminder, my tools don't have to fix me, just move me forward or keep me still through the discomfort. That can be enough, especially with multiple stressors and uncertainties. Best regards, Carol. Carrie wrote simply, thank you for the latest episode. It was a great help. And Betty said, I enjoyed my seven Hershey kisses after hearing the end of your podcast. No regrets, and for sure a moment of happiness in my here and now. Well done, a masterpiece ending that helps me accept the things I can change and savor in this moment in the world's here and now. God wanted this for me. I'm glad that that short little episode where I just talked about what was going on with me touched you. Thank you for writing. Molly writes, Hi, Spencer. I'm a somewhat new listener to The Recovery Show, and it has been a helpful tool for me as I practice the al principles in my own life. Thank you for your service. Quite often, I think about writing to you with a comment or an idea for a show and decided to sit down and share a few thoughts with you today. The first is that I would love for you to do a show and discuss the word qualifier. To be honest, the word makes me uneasy. I understand that the intention of the word is to refer to the person or people who qualified me to attend Al-Anon, but to me it suggests blame and finger-pointing, and I'm not even sure it is an official Al-Anon term. I have a 21 and a 25-year-old who are both currently sober, and the three of us just had a discussion about the word qualifier, and we all seem to be on the same page with our dislike of the word. I know I can take what I like and leave the rest, but I thought it might be worth taking a look at this word as a community. When I think of my children... Perhaps they should refer to me as their qualifier. I'm using this as an example to make a point and imagine it could be interpreted as guilt or blame. Yes, I did have and sometimes do have guilt for mistakes I have made, but realize now I was doing the best with what I had. Before falling into addiction, children could be born into a family of ACOAs, adult children of alcoholics. In my family, my ex-husband had two alcoholic parents and I grew up with an alcoholic brother. The effects of these relationships and our own unmet needs affected our children. Children can also be affected by generational trauma. The Body Keeps the Score is a great book for understanding this. And many children experience their own trauma based on stressful or traumatic events or prolonged exposure to unhealthy environments. And yet, children, friends, and family members get labeled as my qualifier. If anything, I am my own qualifier, but generally would appreciate us not using these labels in our Al-Anon meetings. Okay, moving on to another thought. I love that you did a show on alternate nostril breathing to reduce anxiety and stress. I have read that alternate nostril breathing benefits the brain in a similar way to how EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, oh, that's mouthful. She didn't say that, I did. In a similar way to how EMDR does by helping both sides of the brain to function in a more balanced way and calming the mind and nervous system. All I know is that I feel better after doing it. Another idea that I have for a show would be titled, Coming Home, Going Home, and I feel it would be helpful during the holidays. We could discuss the challenges we face when our loved ones in recovery come home, or the challenges we face when we return home to visit our families of origin. One last thing I wanted to share with you is the podcast, My Child and Addiction, Parent to Parent Podcast. It is produced by the Karen Treatment Center, Karen Treatment Center, I'm not sure. And listening to it is like 
going to a really helpful Al-Anon meeting where lots of experience, strength, and hope is being shared. I listened to it on Spotify and I've listened to every single episode. So thanks again for your service and for letting me share my thoughts with you. Best, Molly. Okay, Molly, a lot of things to talk about there. The word qualifier, I also try not to use that word myself, except sometimes I say I qualify myself for Al-Anon. I know that it comes from the third tradition, the only requirement for membership is a problem of alcoholism and a relative or friend. And we talk about how that qualifies us for membership. And I think sometimes I hear in open talks, maybe particularly AA open talks, people talk about qualifying this is how I qualified to be a member. And so that, I think that's where it comes from. But I, too, have this feeling that there's a little bit of finger pointing, a little bit of blame there. Early when I started the podcast, and maybe before, I would refer to my loved one. And sometimes I would say my loved one whose alcoholism triggered the behavior that eventually brought me to Alan on the behavior in me. But that is definitely many years into the program. I'm sure I used that word earlier in program. It's a shorthand, but it is it is one that makes me uncomfortable. So, yeah, that's my two cents on qualifier. Let's see. You, you speak about generational trauma and reference the book, The Body Keeps the Score, which I will put a link in the notes for this podcast at therecovery.show slash 345. I've been hearing a lot about that recently, how we actually have discovered that children and even grandchildren of people who have experienced severe trauma in their lives can be affected by that. Apparently not just because of growing up in that environment, but that there are actually some not exactly genetic changes, but changes that can be inherited. And it's unintuitive for somebody who grew up with Mendelian genetics and and genes, and you just get what you had. And the experience that you have doesn't change your genes, which is true, but it can change the way in which those genes are expressed and thus how you live. Anyway, it's sort of an intriguing concept. I might like to know more about it. For those of you who have written to me, and there's been several of you recently writing to me wanting to know about parent meetings, and I, again, I'm reaching out to you, you, the listener, if you have a meeting you go to that maybe focuses on the issues of parents of alcoholics, and if that meeting is a Zoom meeting so that people can join from anywhere in the country. Maybe you could share that with me. And then when somebody writes to me with that question, I can share it with them. But also this podcast that you suggest, I haven't listened to it, but I will again, put a link to this podcast, my child and addiction parent to parent podcast, because that sounds like a fantastic resource for people who are in that position. Mary sent a voicemail. Hi Spencer. My name is Mary. Thank you for recording these podcasts. They've got me through many a week when I needed a meeting, but I couldn't get to one. I've listened to every episode and some of them more than once. I recently listened to It's Not Your Fault, and I felt so validated about how I ended up married to an alcoholic. It's easy to blame myself. I've been conditioned to accept blame from my parents who used shame to control my behavior as a kid. And I was scapegoated in my childhood home, and so I accepted the role of problem child. And then I accepted that same role in my marriage. My husband blamed me for his drinking, and I eventually believed that I caused it. So when I got to Al-Anon, I was shocked and relieved to discover that it wasn't my fault. And this brings me to the point of my share. I think it's vital that we learn the difference between what is our responsibility and what is our fault. 
I listened this morning to Married to an Alcoholic, episode 340, and I find the language of the talk to be troubling. I've heard this language in some Al-Anon groups and perhaps most often in shares by people who are long-timers. And the wording goes like this. The alcoholic got drunk, behaved in a way I could not understand, blamed me, told other people that I was the crazy one. No one believed me or heard me or validated me. And I tried every way I knew to stop this behavior. And that indicates that I am the crazy person who is just as sick or sicker than the alcoholic. I think this is shaming language. I think it gaslights the experience many of us have had. We often hear that there are no victims living with an alcoholic. There are only volunteers. I understand that the purpose of that phrase is to remind us that we have choices and we can set boundaries. But it sent me a message that I heard clearly this message as a new member of Al-Anon. And that message was that I should be kind and non-judgmental to the alcoholic because he has a disease. But there's no excuse for my behavior. I was sick and crazy and boundaryless and couldn't detach. And that's not true. The truth is that living with addiction was traumatizing for me. And that we blame people who stay in these traumatizing relationships with language that says, hey, look how crazy you are. And I think that it's hard enough to deal with the moral shaming that we have as a culture about alcoholism. We don't need to be shaming ourselves as Al-Anon members. I love the adult children of alcoholics approach that says that we have adaptive strategies that we adopted as children to survive and that the behaviors did in fact help us to survive, but that they are maladaptive when we become adults and they no longer serve us. And I think in general that Al-Anon members are so often filled with guilt that is not ours. Shame gets in the way of our growth. Now, I know that I can take what I like and leave the rest. And this language is something that I will leave. But I want to validate any other member who hears this language and feels the weight of shame when they really need to feel the lifeline that is our program. Thanks for allowing me to share my thoughts about this issue. And thanks for the work that you do. Thank you, Mary. And thank you, Mary, for calling out the way in which we use language in our program. I think sometimes we use particular language because we don't know how to say what we want to say differently. I think sometimes we use particular language for emphasis, but it is something that I try to be aware of. I think it's important for all of us to be aware of not putting shame on other people and ourselves and working our program working with our higher power to relieve our feelings of guilt and shame. Thank you for that message. Maggie writes, Hi, Spencer. I am Maggie, a grateful member of Al-Anon. I wanted to share with a caller who talked about binge drinking. I, too, was confused about my husband's binge drinking. There could be weeks or months of no drinking, then a night out with friends and would lead into late nights. I'd gotten to the point where I knew I couldn't live this way. A marriage counselor had suggested Al-Anon and told me it's not my responsibility to diagnose him. I slowly began going to meetings, but would feel guilty when things were quiet at home, always wondering, do I really belong here? I had read in a newcomer's packet that the only requirement was that the qualifier's drinking bothered you, and the answer was yes. It didn't matter how much or how often the drinking bothered me. What a relief to realize I belonged in the rooms. There are shades of gray to the disease, and it's not always easy to see. But for me, taking the pressure of him and his drinking off me was relief. Knowing I needed the help was an awakening moment. Thank you for letting me share. Love your show, Maggie. And thanks, Maggie. That's a really important point, that whatever brings us to the program, and I would say this 
when I was talking to newcomers in the, the meeting that I started in, had a newcomers meeting afterwards every week. And we'd sometimes get one, sometimes two, three, four newcomers sitting in a little circle and, and we talk about the program. And I would almost always say, it doesn't matter if your loved one identifies as alcoholic. It doesn't matter if you think that they're an alcoholic. What matters is two things, really. One, as the reading says, that their drinking bothers you. And two, if you hear things here that resonate with you, that speak to your experience, that speak to your fears, that speak to your hopes, then you belong here. And, and that's all. We don't have a questionnaire at the door that asks you to, to detail the alcoholic behavior of your loved one because you might not even know when you come in exactly why you're here. I've had people say that to me. I'm not sure why I'm here, but it feels like the right place to be. And I always say, well, you're in the right place. You get to decide whether you belong in Al-Anon. Sometimes trying to put specific labels on why you're here is difficult. And you don't need to do that. Thanks, Maggie, for sharing that. S.A. called with a voicemail about the episode It's Not Your Fault, which was number 339. If you want to go back to the recovery.show slash 339 to listen to it. Hello, Spencer and Eric. It's S.A. And I have some feedback on It's Not Your Fault. I listened to It's Not Your Fault on Friday. On Monday, a family member that I was having an interaction with said, it's your fault. You do this and so. And it was such stark relief between those two dichotomies of it's not your fault and this family member saying it's all your fault. Um, and it helped me have the realization that environment in which I was raised, that toxic environment, really had permeated my soul. So I had a reaction to it. I didn't say anything in the moment came back, regrouped, and then talked to someone about it and have come to realize that from that environment, I acquired certain coping skills, and that environment was long ago. I'm not in that environment now, of course, as an adult, but the things that I identified as character defects that at the time were coping mechanisms when I was a child are defensiveness, a judgmental, critical spirit. Tending to be a blamer and a smart mouth. <laughs> I'm not proud of any of those, but the last one in particular is problematic. But with feedback from a trusted friend, I was able to see that by actually identifying these character defects, this situation actually helped me immensely because without it, I may not have truly recognized those character defects. And if I can, if I become aware of it, then I can accept it and I can create an action plan, the three A's. So from that, I've taken those character defects and I'm looking for corresponding assets that I can strive to achieve. It may seem like a little bit of an amalgamation, but therein lies the tenet that you discussed in, if I'm not the problem, there is no solution. Because if it becomes within my sphere of influence to change me, 
then I can do something about that. Everything outside of that is completely out of my control. So I thank you for both of those topics, and I thank you for this show. It really has brought into my awareness so many of the positives of this program and of recovery. Thank you. Yeah, boy, that is true. Toxic environment permeated your soul. Thanks for calling. CJ wrote with Zoom information for a men's Al-Anon meeting that meets Fridays at 19.30 Greenwich time. I believe the meeting's in Scotland, but when you're on Zoom, does it really matter? I don't want to post the details on my website or here, but you can find this meeting actually on the Al-Anon World Service Office website on their electronics meeting page. And I will put a link to that again in the show notes at therecovery.show slash 345. It's also in our online meetings post at therecovery.show slash online. The name of the meeting is AFG Friday Night Men's Meeting. Again, I'll put the name and everything in the show notes. And to find it on that page, what worked for me, I went to the, the electronic meetings page. I checked a box next to English, I checked a box next to Friday, and I checked a box next to Zoom. I think at that point, and maybe it was a Friday when I was trying it, I don't remember, that meeting was right near the top of the remaining list. So for AFG Friday night men's meeting. Thanks, CJ, for, for sending that information. Because I know that several people have written to me about men's meetings, and he emphasizes that it is friendly to all sexualities. You picked a musical selection for our third song. What have you got for us? The last song selection is Unfamiliar Wind by Brian Eno, which you can listen to at therecovery.show slash 345. So I chose this track because it reflects how I listen to music, which is usually music with no lyrics. I chose this track as the sort of, I guess you could think of it as a real reflection, sonic reflection of what I would imagine slow, deep recovery sounds like. I love that there's no sense of uh, forward motion in this track, but if I'm listening in a particular way for the full period of the track, I do notice changes, but they're subtle and they're gradual and it's like the same feeling that I get if I'm watching a sunrise or a sunset. If I'm really attending to it, I can see the movement but I really have to be attending to it. And I love that the sound of this track gives me a sort of feeling of being suspended in time and space. And if I'm listening on good speakers, I can get a really nice frequency resonance, especially in the sub bass (laughs) frequencies, which I enjoy a lot as someone who appreciates bass (laughs) being a DJ in my parallel life. Mm. And it's got this beautiful expansiveness that I think is really helpful to get into a sort of meditative state of listening so that's why i chose that track i'll have to try it thank you for listening and please keep coming back whatever your problems there are those among us who have had them too if we did not talk about a problem you are facing today feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode May understanding, love, and peace growing you one day at a time.